Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. seems to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today joined by somebody who, uh, given how long he has been doing this, given how long we have just been talking back and forth on Twitter and all this other stuff, um, it has taken way too long to bring this guy on here. You know him from the volume. He hosts the Hoops Tonight show over there, has had tremendous success there. Congratulations on that success. Jason Timp, thank you very much for hopping on. Dude, I'm excited. We've You and I have been on the same wavelength with what the Lakers should do over the last <laughs> couple of years. It, it honestly feels kind of funny in retrospect now because like all we were doing last year was just begging them to do something. And anything. this summer, I'm like, I'm like, don't do anything. Just bring everybody back. Like, just wait. Like, don't do anything <laughs> stupid. Don't get any names on your mind. Like, just, just relax. And like, it, it, but it's funny because we've been on the same wavelength uh, this whole time. And it's honestly strange that we haven't worked together yet, but we're fixing that today. And that's all that matters. Yeah, it, it, it was like, I would see your tweet and I'd be just like, I mean, I could hit retweet or I could say my own thing and I would just try to like split the difference, you know, and and because, yeah, it was just, it, it seemed pretty straightforward at the time, right? It was just like, you have LeBron, you have AD, them surrounded by role players won you a championship before. Let's just surround them with like decent role players again. Can we just try that and see what that looks like? And And then they did. And they go on the crazy run that they do. And it's nice now to the point that you're talking about. And it's funny to see, you know, I even found myself writing this yesterday for, for Substack. It was just like, it's going to be a boring off season. I'm happy. I'm thrilled that it seems like it's going to be kind of a boring off season for the Lakers. Uh, and, and I'm, it's weird to be like, okay with it. You know, it's weird to just be like, yeah, it sounds like, the new bit of news that was kind of uh, surprising to me was Jovan um, Buha of The Athletic reported that they have a chance at bringing back Lonnie too, which I didn't, I thought he priced himself out of it. But if they're able to do that, I, I have zero complaints whatsoever about what the, what the, you know, just running it back would look like. It's just, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, and the reason that, you know, that's a, a good launching point for us here is because on this episode, we're going to be, you know, going through the tiers that we have in the West and debating whether or not there is anything that a, any team can do to catch Denver. And if there's anything that Den- might happen to Denver that might bring them back to the crowd. I think they're, you know, I pretty clearly head and shoulders better than just about everybody else in the West in my tier system. But that's kind of what we're going to be looking at here. Um, and we'll start there. Do you agree with Denver being head and shoulders better than everybody else? I don't think they're head and shoulders better than everybody else. I do think they deserve the recognition as being the best team in the conference. I actually did put them on the same tier with a couple of other teams. I think there are a couple of outlying circumstances. For instance, like that Suns team was kind of in a transition period where they had just made this big trade. And obviously they they were going to need a full offseason to kind of round things out. And we expect them to. And as it turns out, they ended up doing something even more aggressive. Um, The Lakers, I think a couple of weird things just – the ridiculous grind post deadline leading into that series, which that particular series was always going to be such a physical knockdown drag out fist fight that the fatigue kind of ended up catching up to them, I think. And um, even that sun series for, for Denver, it was a six game series, but like they really killed them in the four games that they won. It was just those two outlier shooting performances. So Denver kind of had a relatively easy path to that point. So I think fatigue played a role. Also, if you look at Denver and this is something that I think happens in basketball, sometimes, sometimes a team just catches fire 
And like, yeah. sometimes everything is just going right. And I do think that Denver is a beatable team. So again, recognition is the best, but I do have a couple other teams on the same tier as them. On the same tier. Okay. Yes. Um, that surprises me. Let's uh, we'll, uh, who else do you have in that, in that grouping? I have the Lakers and the Suns. So I think okay. uh, I think the Suns are going to be able to get a couple of discounted role players this summer just because of the sheer amount of talent. And then Phoenix is also a city, especially in the wintertime over the course of the NBA season, that people like to live. Um, and just the Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, Devin Booker thing with a couple of decent athletes around them, I think they're going to be able to compete. Um, the Lakers, I don't think people have properly accounted for um, LeBron James's weird shooting slump i was looking at the numbers this morning <laughs> the he was, wildest thing he was in the 61st percentile as a jump shooter last year so he was well above average he was well mm -hmm. over a point per possession that jumped all the way down to 0 0.9 points per possession on jump shots this year which was in like the 24th percentile so like lebron just had a random like awful jump shooting season and i do think yeah. he'll bounce back in that regard anthony davis too like as he actually gets a full off season to work out and then another full training camp i actually think he'll come back more polished also mm -hmm. don't underestimate a good ass kicking when it comes to motivating yeah. a player to get it together so what i happened look at to the Jokic, lakers right like yeah, AD, exactly. ad beat the crap out of Jokic, and Jokic was like okay yeah that can't happen again yeah, exactly. And so, and then from that standpoint, like if you actually look close at the series, Denver pretty much beat up Minnesota, except for that weird game two where Minnesota had a little late game run in the second half. And then game five was obviously very close. Um, but the Lakers were actually by net rating the most competitive team with Denver in this postseason run. And if you think back, it's like game mm -hmm. one, LeBron has a three pointer at the end of the game that could have tied it. Game two, they're up double digits in the second half. Game three and four are both this close and get one in crunch time basically by Denver. So I actually do think the Lakers are very, very close to Denver in that regard. And I expect them to be better. Continuity will help. They're going to have a trade yeah. to make because they're going to have some middling salaries and some draft picks that they can use. So that's who I had in my top tier. So I'm, I'm assuming you have Denver by themselves. I do. I have Denver by themselves. Um, I, I, it's not that I disagree with anything that you're saying there. Um, that was, it's funny, it was a blowout six-game series uh, between the, the uh, Nuggets and Suns, and then it was a close sweep between the Nuggets and Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> it was <laughs> basketball. But, like, um, I just think, you know, especially if they're able to retain Bruce Brown, um, that that is a team that just gets who it is, you know? And for all of the other teams that we're talking about, Phoenix is going to have to figure out their identity, right? They're going to, you're going to see, like, is Devin Booker going to be functioning kind of as a point guard there? And, and is Bradley Beal going to be okay with a steep drop in usage? And then, you know, we saw the issues that they had last year with getting Booker and, and KD to run anything together. So they're going to have to figure that out on the fly. Um, they're also probably going to trade DeAndre Ayton, you have to think, at some point here. It was funny. They, like, they, they, they come out and said... We are committed to Aiton. We are committed to this core. Da, 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 da. Two days later, Mark Stein is like, well, actually, they were really close to trading him to Dallas, right? <laughs> so like, my guess is he's not actually going to be there that long. And then, you know, I, I do agree with the grouping, though. Like, if you're looking at it from Denver, Lakers, Phoenix, I do think those are kind of the, the top three teams in some order there. And and yeah, call call it like the three teams that have the best chance to win the conference. Yeah, right, right. Like it's kind of like you know you, you see it all the time with like the likelihood that a team is going to win a championship, and you have these percentage points, and they and they slow you know they steep down down the, as you go further down the graph, right? And so mm -hmm. Denver obviously has the highest chance of 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 winning a championship, I think, in the West, and then Phoenix takes a percentage of that, and then the Lakers. Although I. <laughs> Phoenix has like way too much 2012 Lakers vibes to me. Like really? way too much. Yeah, like they really make me nervous. Booker has had injury concerns. KD has had injury concerns. Beal has had injury concerns. They're going to be trading away the only rim protection that they really have on their team in DeAndre Ayton. You got to hope that like Landale is ready to step into starting center minutes. It's one thing to be like not DeAndre Ayton and, and surprise people in that regard. And then it's another thing altogether just to just like walk into a season and be like, yeah, you are our defense. Good luck, buddy. Um, I do think Frank Vogel is going to help optimize that defense, but I also think he's going to hamstring the offense. So 
yeah, I, I'm all over the map with Phoenix. I actually have them at the bottom of my third tier. Um, with with, you know, in, in terms of they they're the most things that scare me about them than any other team on both sides of the spectrum. They terrify me that like some team is going to have to defend them. But then it also is just like, there's so much can, that can go wrong there. It, 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 and just like that, that 2012 um, Lakers team. And even the first iteration of the Russell Westbrook Lakers, where who's going to do the dirty work? Like where, where's who, like who, whose identity between Booker and Katie and Beal is like, who's going to step up and, set a hard screen, go out and, and put the clamps on somebody when they have to. I, I just say they, they really make me nervous in that regard, but it sounds like you're not quite there with them. Well, I, so I tend to think I, even as currently constructed with Bradley Beal, I would, uh, if I had to pick a Denver Phoenix series right now, I'd pick Denver in like five. Like I, yeah. I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're any closer to beating Denver after a Bradley Beal trade. And the, the yeah. main concept that, that I struggle with with this team is diminishing returns. So mm -hmm. not only do you have three kind of redundant players in that they're live dribble shot creators that work out of ISO and pick and roll and in love to shoot pull-up jump shots, but mm -hmm. in addition to that, they're also all three of them in their career guys that reserve resources for the offensive end and tend to not devote a ton of energy to the defensive end. And yeah. like, like I think it's I think it's really difficult to build a contender around stars that don't compete on the defensive end, yeah. unless you've got the truly unstoppable force like Nikola Jokic and every player around them is great at that stuff. Contavious Caldwell Pope, Aaron Gordon, even Michael yep. Porter Jr. had a lot of really good moments defensively. And as a rebounder, Bruce Brown, you get the point. Christian Brown, you get the point. The I, I, I want to reserve final judgment on Phoenix until after I see the finishing product of their offseason. Yeah. But the reality is, is like, if you had Bradley Beal attack a set defense, he's going to be way better than a guy like a Contavious Caldwell Pope. But if you have Bradley Beal play the KCP role where he's off ball a lot, like how yeah. much of a gap is there really? And yeah, when you factor exactly. in KCP as a lock and trail defender, and and you remember this from the, the title season, he's so good at attacking closeouts. Such a good transition guard running the rim and running to the corner for threes. Knockdown, spot-up shooting guy. Like, like their gap is really small there. And so that's kind of, that's kind of where I was concerned is as, as a prospect of using the asset, would you have been better off flipping Chris Paul and some pick swaps and second round picks and Landry Shamit for a couple of role players that could yeah. really help you on the front, like kind of like what the Lakers did. Although I think that trade <laughs> I was is, say, I think that tra exactly that trade we is a little overrated about. from the standpoint of just how much they used particular guys. But I do think even if you factor in Rui Hachimura there, the Lakers going after guys that could help them with size and athleticism and youth. Yeah. I do think that that is what I would have done if I was running Phoenix. Cause like if you have Kevin Durant and you got Devin Booker, like you're not in the market for more shot creation. You're in the market for <laughs> other yeah. things. And, and so I, I do think that uh, if this team loses in embarrassing fashion, which I think is on the table, it would just be the final nail in that, that coffin, the final nail in the let's build a super team coffin. Like you need dudes that rebound and defend and that are big and strong. How much did size and strength matter in this playoff run? Like it was, it, did. it was like, it's a, it's a contact sport at the end of the day. Yeah. It's uh, Aaron and I on a previous show, maybe a couple of weeks back, the example I used was, let's just say the Suns go out and get Bradley Beal. I didn't, I, I had no idea that it was coming or whatever, but I just said, like the days of talent just overwhelming, I think are kind of behind us. Uh, teams are so cognizant of fit. They are so understanding of, like even with superstars, the scabs that you can pick at their game, especially if they're in a role that they aren't quite comfortable in, you know? And, and I don't think that Bradley Beal is going to be very comfortable in the KCP role on offense. Um, when the ball swings over to him and he's wide open, doesn't mean I'm not going to be terrified. And it doesn't mean he's not going to knock down like a bunch of wide open shots, but is that something that like he is okay with having played in this league for whatever it is, 13, whatever years and having made close to half a billion dollars, um, you know, playing a certain way. It's really difficult just as we saw with Russell Westbrook to just like show up. And even, even like when, when the Lakers went out and got Russ, 
the thought was that, you know, they he met with AD and LeBron and they all agreed on the way that they needed to play and the things that Russ was going to have to do and tweak in his game to be able to fit in that. And the season starts and he's just like, oh, so those conversations lasted however long that they did and they were forgotten by the time training camp started. And I, and I, I, I do kind of wonder when it comes to playing style, how comfortable Bradley Beal is going to be being like the clear third apple here, right? The... Somebody who's just happy to get the scraps, the Chris Bosch player, you know, and and yeah, I, I I have real questions there. So that's why I have them actually in my in my third tier. I have Denver and then Lakers kind of in their own tier, and then Phoenix in the third tier with the Warriors, uh, not Pelicans, uh, Thunder, Clippers, and um, and then Suns. So who's in your th- who do you have behind Denver and the Lakers and Phoenix? So my second tier, I have the Warriors, the Clippers, and the Mavs. And the case there is like, I definitely view the Warriors as a second tier Western Conference team. I think they would have, I've seen a lot of Warriors fans like, oh, we were a better matchup for Denver. We, no, no the, the, the Nuggets would have destroyed that Warriors team. I'm not trying to hear that. I, I don't think they yeah. were close. Um, even with the advantage. You hear that, Aaron? Quick guards. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do think like the Chris Paul trade was super bizarre because I would have used Jordan Poole's as an asset in a different way. I would have tried to use him the way the Lakers used Russ to bring back multiple front court players because now they've addressed this like backup guard thing and the, oh, we need to run a shit ton of pick and roll in the playoffs thing. But they haven't addressed their front court size and athleticism thing. And yeah. the best vehicle with which to do that was a large salary. Now they're going to have to rely on veteran minimum contracts. So I definitely have them in that second tier. The Clippers, obviously, I believe in what they're capable of. But like I had a, I'm doing a mailbag episode right earlier today and I had a question in my mailbag. And it's like in a universe where all stars are guaranteed health, like, do you think the Clippers could win a championship and I, I when i respond to this i'm just gonna be like no no no. can we stop this shit already like I'm, yeah, I, we can't that's do not this the anymore. universe like, we live in <laughs> yeah that's not the universe we live the universe we live in is Kawhi plays awesome for two playoff games and breaks down it's happened two playoffs in a row like it it, yeah. it, it is what it is um but obviously from a talent perspective you got to put them up there um and then i put the mavs because i really do Ooh. think that the Kyrie and luka Doncic fit is great and I think that if they have a summer to kind of build around the margins with those guys with athletes, I do think they're going to win a lot of regular season games. And obviously, Luca, I think, is going to come back in uh, somewhat of a revenge campaign for him, having missed the playoffs, having received a lot of criticism for his attitude and body language over the tail end of that season. Like, there's this mm-hmm. kind of embarrassing stat that is like post Kyrie trade, the Mavs were just way better with Kyrie than they were with Luca. Um, and so like Luca's got a lot to play for. And again, like, I really do think that, uh, in the same way that the nets were good with Kyrie and KD and just some good role, solid role players. I think they have a decent chance, especially if Derek Lively is even just a fraction of what Nick Claxton was for that nets team. Like if they just have enough athleticism on the floor to hang, I think they'll be pretty good. So that's what I have is warriors Clippers Mavs as my second tier. Wow, I have Mavs way down below. Um, <laughs> it could very easily be that. It could very yeah. easily be that. I'm, I'm tossing respect to my guy, Luca here. <laughs> he is good enough that you think, like, at some point we are going to get the FU Luca season, right? At some point we're going to get it where he shows up and, and it's not just going to be on the offensive side of the court, but on the defensive side of the court. Like, one of the things that I really marveled at with Denver in their run in the playoffs was... Um, the way that Jokic utilized how smart he is on offense for like defensive abilities, right? Re- reading deep, reading opposing offenses in the way that he would maybe read them because he knows like on, on the offensive side of the ball, he knows exactly which pass is going to put the defense in the most compromised position. And then the, you know, they're going to have to rotate a certain way from there. And he knows how to take advantage of that too, depending on how they rotate. And he, and, and, and it was really interesting to watch him and now, Nuggets fans and my Nuggets uh, people who cover the Nuggets will say that this is just what he does in the postseason, Jokic, that like he just starts caring more and he does make the like he always has known which rotations to make, but in the regular season hasn't necessarily done it. Um, And then, you know, in the postseason is more focused and, and does it a little bit more often. I'm curious if we start to see that with Luka, if he starts to like use the, the, microcomputer that he has in his in his head for like the benefit of at least understanding where to be on defense and caring enough to actually go out and do it because 
Um, it's kind of like it's a it's not apples to apples, but the conversation that we always have about Dame kind of ignores what he doesn't do on the defensive side of the ball. And and I think a lot of times the conversation that we have about Luca kind of ignores that side of the ball too. They are so incredible offensively. And it's borderline unfair to ask those guys to do that much on defense given what they have to do offensively. But when you get Kyrie and your burden on offense is lowered a little bit, yeah, that's when you got to start doing a little bit more on the other side of the court. So um, I, if he does that, I'm with you. They do belong in that, in that, you know, second or third tier. If not, um, and if they don't address like, you know, the, the, the lack of athleticism, if like lively isn't ready to be the anchor as a rookie on a team that has Kyrie and Luca, I think you're probably won't be by the way. Yeah. Right. Right. And and like, they, (laughs) they went out and got like Rashawn Holmes, right. Who couldn't play in a playoff series in which Alex Len was getting minutes. So I have some questions about what he still has in the tank. Um, look, I think the fact that they're even in this conversation in the way that you can have them in is in itself kind of a success story, you know, given what they were going into this offseason with, uh, the amount of work that they had to do. But I, I still, you know, if you're just talking ceilings and floors, their floor is so freaking low. It's, it's, it is. it's terrifying low. Um, I, I, I do want to come back. So I think one of the, the, the team that I have in that tier that you don't is the Thunder. The Thunder really make me nervous with the amount of athleticism, the buy-in that all those guys have into what they're all trying to do. Um, they're going to be getting the other stick figure back who's, um, no, uh, Chet Holmgren. They're going to be getting him back this year. Um, and And in addition to... Uh, the the other rookies or the other rookie that they went out and grabbed as well. I just think um, I don't I don't necessarily think they have a chance at winning a championship. But uh, if you look at it just from like a stock, like if we were to do an exercise in uh, the stock exchange right now, like they're plus thirteen thousand to win a championship this year. And I think if we if I just had to like invest in that number shrinking over the course of the season. I really think that that number will will really they'll really climb up to to a point where people are like, "Hey, they can't do this, right? Like the <laughs> right? Like the, there's they're too young to do this, right? Uh, the, the 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 conference is so wide open and they're so young, they're so athletic that I do think they're going to be kind of a a scary out in the first round for whoever has to face them there. I love this Thunder team. I, I had him in my third tier just strictly from the standpoint of playoff ceiling, just because young teams just never win that far into yeah. the playoffs. Um, but I actually could see them being kind of like the Grizzlies were the last couple of years where they pretty consistently have a top seed. Yeah. I A couple things. I think Like a Shea, less annoying Grizzlies. <laughs> yes, a, li- a likable Grizzlies. Exactly. Yeah. And, and yeah. the like, I think Shea is because we were talking. I was talking with Colin on Sunday about the um, kind of like the gap between international players and American players. And mm-hmm. obviously, Shea's from Canada, so it's more of North American. But among North American athletes, I actually think he more than Jason Tatum, you know, more yeah. than Anthony Davis. I more think he's the guy that's going to compete with those top guys more than anybody else. I think. I think. I think Shea is so, so, so much better than Jason Tatum at the half court surgery thing. Like so, so much better. Yeah. And his combination of like uh, diversity in his game that makes him difficult to guard. I I can't wait to watch him play in a playoff series as this version of himself because he's going to be so damn good. Obviously, as you go down the roster, guys like Jalen Williams, like he's going to have some growing pains, especially as he goes up against better competition. Obviously, Josh Giddy, the same thing. You know, they're going to have their growing pains. But they're going to win a ton of regular season games. Shea is one of my absolute favorite players. I love that team. I am 100% with you. I think they're going to go way up in in uh, in Vegas in terms of odds to win the conference, odds to win the league. Don't be surprised if Shea gets some, some MVP buzz. Yep. I just don't think they have any realistic chance to win the title. It's just – I was like this was crazy. In, in this year's playoff run – or in this year's NBA Finals, the um, – <clears throat> The only player to play over 100 minutes that was below the age of 25 is Michael Porter Jr., and he was the guy who struggled the most. So, yeah. like, t- typically speaking, at the higher levels That's of the NBA point. playoffs, youth doesn't play very well. The one time we had a team make it that far was that Thunder team. But you got to remember, one, they were playing Derek Fisher and Kendrick Perkins as, like, really steady veteran presences. And two of the dudes are, like, top 
30 players of all time in KD and James yeah. Harden. So like maybe that's not the example to use. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I thought the, the top 30 guys that you were going to list were going to be KD and Russ. <laughs> but, well, hey, that's fair. Like, that's fair. <laughs> you know, like they, they had they had that that that's so much uh, upper echelon talent that like yeah, the th- these Thunder do not have. I just think um and and I'm I'm with you. I don't think they're going to win the championship. I don't think they can win the championship. But this season is going to be so wide open that I really think buy-in and identity is really going to matter. And I think they have that in droves. You know, mm-hmm. they really understand, all right, this is a Shea team. We all fit in here. Jalen's going to grow a little bit. Um, we'll see what Chet provides and stuff like that. But, um, you know, kind of like, and, and and I always think every year has that team that's too young and dumb to realize what they're accomplishing. And they feel like that team to me. They feel like that team is just like, yeah, why, why would we be scared? We have no reason to be scared. And then like the following year, they realize, okay, yeah, we probably should have been a little bit more scared. And that's like, that's a lesson that the the Grizzlies never learned, Right. You would think after getting embarrassed in the in in the postseason, they would have learned. Okay, yeah, this this league is for real. Maybe they never we're not did. fine in the West. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I guess that's a pretty good segue to talk about the Grizzlies. Uh, they're in my, I guess you know, pseudo fourth tier because I have two single team tiers at the top. Where do you have the What do you have the Grizzlies do? I have no idea what's going to happen them happen with them this year. So I have him in my third tier. Um, I'm I'm confused by the Marcus Smart trade. I understand the thought process. Okay, we need another primary perimeter defender who can take all the assignments that Dylan Brooks took. Get that. Uh, We want a veteran presence that can kind of keep some of the younger guys in line. Marcus is 29 and hasn't won a championship, so I'm not sure exactly how guys like Desmond Bain, who are super confident, guys like John Moran, who are super confident, are just going to super, you know, that that are just going to defer to Marcus Smart as a leader. So I'm a little bit skeptical of that. Um, The biggest part that I don't understand about that trade is now you've put yourself in a position where your best five is going to include three players that are really undersized between mm-hmm. John Morant, who's obviously a great athlete, but super, super thin Marcus smart, who, you know, probably shouldn't have won defensive player of the year last year, but is a good defender, but he's short. And then Desmond Bain, he's listed at six, five, but he's got alligator arms. So like the yeah. dude doesn't, it doesn't defend at a, he's at like a, a position, that's, but defends like six, three. Exactly. Like th- that's a perfect way to break down. So like, they're going to theoretically now like that'll put them in some predicaments where they're going to have to play two bigs because the overall backcourt is just going to be so small that you're going to be obligated to play, you know, a Jaron Jackson at the four alongside, you know, whether it's Steven Adams or maybe Brandon Clark comes back from his Achilles injury at some point during the season. But like they're going to they've turned themselves into a team that's going to struggle even more in some of the size and physicality areas of the game as a team that dominates teams physically in the regular season, they tend to really struggle in the playoffs, especially on the road. They don't, mm-hmm. they don't hang well defensively and rebounding. They've been pretty much thrashed on the road. The last two postseasons. they play really hard in front of their home crowd and they're freaky athletic and, and they're fun to watch. But you know, the weirdest development to me, Anthony, and I'm not sure if you agree with me on this. I thought John Morant was their third best player in that series. I thought Jaron Jackson was incredible defensively. Yeah. He was a point per possession in post-ups and was playing bully ball in the Lakers. Game four and game five when Memphis really had a chance to take control of the series. And once again, people don't realize how close that series was. LeBron doesn't make that layup. It's 2-2 going back to Memphis. They're probably down 3-2 at that point, right? Yeah. Um, And Desmond Bain was the guy that put them in a position to steal game four. Desmond Bain was the best player on the floor in game five. John Morant, if you go look at his numbers, his ISO and pick and roll numbers were way below a point per possession in that series. His yeah. And he shot the lights out on his pull-up jump shot. That's what's crazy is he was making his shot and still was basically ineffectual against the Laker defense. So I, 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 I think the Grizzlies are way, way, way far away from being a serious Western Conference contender. I like John Moran. He's entertaining. I'm actually rooting for him. I believe he deserves a second chance. I just think he's a, I think he's just a dumb kid. I don't think he's yeah. a bad guy. I, I expect him to to grow up and learn his lesson and, and be back on the court and be a really good NBA player for a long time. I just don't think they're good enough, but to put it simply. Yeah, I Beal wasn't the guy to bring in there, but I, I think they need a player better than Jaw. An older player better than Jaw to kind of like right the ship you know and be the identity because right now 
um, Jaw and Dylan Brooks were the identity, and it's why they were so volatile. You know, I agree with you. I have nothing against John Morant personally. I think he's kind of an idiot. And yeah, like um, most kids and, that are that age, right? Like when I was twenty three, <laughs> I was a bigger idiot than Jaw. I promise you that. Um, and and then you know Dylan Brooks, you know, with the whole like I poke bears things, right? Um, you need and like by the way, Marcus Smart has something, some of that to him, and he's oh, yeah. a little bit too willing to take the big shot. So, like, I think there's going to be more overlap between those two players, and I think Grizzlies fans are are really um, prepared for. I I don't like to say this, but I've always thought they kind of reminded me of of the Jailblazers, you know, in in that like they were so effing talented. Those teams with like Jermaine O'Neal. Damon Stoudemire, like those guys, Rasheed Wallace, were so effing good. And they were absolutely terrifying, but they never like collectively figured out what needed to be done in terms of maturation to take the next step in the league at that time. And then you went and saw they broke up. Rasheed Wallace goes and wins a championship with with Detroit, right? Um, Jermaine O'Neal reaches a championship, I believe, with Indiana. Um Obviously, Damon Stoudemire was just more terrifying because Shaq couldn't defend the pick and roll. But like, it was just it was that that was such like a a young team whose window slammed shut because they never really grasped how insanely competitive the the conference was. And I feel like you know I, we're going to look back and and the Grizzlies we're going to talk about them in much of the same way. Um, maybe Dylan Brooks by getting thrown completely under the bus is you know realizes all right yeah I, I i screwed up over there we'll see what he does i think the 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 odds on favor right now is houston they're like two to five to to bring him in um and we'll see there's some talk about him at like a two and 30 type deal in houston um and we'll see like you know i i think at some point they're gonna have to break up bean and jaw because it's just too small in in yeah. in in that uh backcourt and Wherever Bain goes, I'm really fascinated to see what he does in the right kind of situation. He he has a lot of like, I like him. He, yeah, like he he kind of reminds me completely different like body type and stuff like that. But um, Drew Holiday ish, you know, where you know steady knocks down jumpers. You just kind of know what you're gonna get from him. And and that guy on a team with like an elite wing, I just that's that's the champion whenever whenever he arrives there that's like that's the team that i'm really going to be looking at like yeah they're they're gonna have their stuff together but i i but the point there is just like i i think that they're going to be better away from each other than they have been collectively to this point um but we'll see like maybe jaw maybe this is like his epiphanic moment and he realizes like man i am really on a terror you know a, a scary road here where i could lose a whole bunch of stuff Maybe he, you know, he figures that out and, you know, getting Brooks out of there and Jaw being less of the identity, Brooks not being any part of the identity, they do kind of figure it out a little bit. But I I still kind of think their their window for winning championships is kind of over. It's it's sad, but I, I think that's kind of where we're at there. Um, the further we go down here, you know, like the Pelicans are kind of a mess. Who knows what happens with Dame? Rockets and Spurs are still going to be trying to lose, I think. Um I, 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 the, the point of all of this is to wonder if, if we think, you know, a team can either catch and it sounds to, to me like you think a team can catch, but, uh, leapfrog Denver this season. Um, I, I think a team can catch them. I have a hard time seeing a team being better than Denver over the course of the year though. So I, I do think that when it comes to the Lakers, I think the Lakers are the team that have by far the best chance to beat Denver. Yeah. Um, they match up the best physically. They're the team that has the best combination of size and like half court shot diversity. Cause that's the other thing with Phoenix is it's like, Hey, we're just going to run pick and roll every time and take a million pull up jump shots. Maybe they'll go in, you know, like that's, that's like yeah. their, their, their play style. Whereas Denver, it's like LeBron can match up hunt. Maybe LeBron will have his pull up jump shot back next year. Anthony Davis like was completely ineffectual, ineffectual attacking Nikola Jokic and post-ups yeah. in that series. Maybe he gets some of that back. There's the, Austin Reeves, we can just spam that. There's the ghost screens with LeBron James and Austin Reeves. There's all these different elements to the way that the Lakers can attack. Um, they, they're going to have a, a little bit more continuity, better situation in the standings. 
the hard part for me envisioning the Lakers surpassing Denver as a regular season win-loss team is just the nature of LeBron James and Anthony Davis resting. And, you know, it's funny because everyone – I think one of the biggest lessons that we learned from this year is that the East wasn't as good as it looked and the West was a little better than it looked. Yeah. And part of the reason why I feel that way is uh, this became an obsession with the LeBron MJ debate. It's all how many 50 win teams did you beat? How many 60 win teams did you beat? And I've always thought that's so dumb because like (laughs) win totals in the NBA are mostly a product of how many tanking teams there are. And when there's more parity, all the win totals go down. I mean, Denver, might be the best championship team since the 2018 Warriors and they didn't win 60 games, you know, like it's because you're going to have these long, like in the modern NBA, especially in the Western conference, if you bring a lackadaisical effort, you get beat. Like that's just, that's just what happens in the NBA these days. The, the, The talent level is too, is too insane. So I don't think, I think the Lakers will be a top four seed. Um, yeah, I think that it's funny as I look at their plan, this is one of the big reasons why I'd wait is I'd retain all the contracts that you can. Um, like, like I'd pick up, uh, Malik Beasley's option. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. sign D'Angelo Russell. I'd pick up the option on Mo Bamba. I'd keep all the salaries that I can. And Mo Bamba is a perfectly fine backup center for the NBA regular season. Is he mm-hmm. the dude I want running bench groups against Jokic? Hell no. But can he run? <laughs> Through yeah. the course of the regular season, yes. So I would go into the season and I'd kind of ride it out with those guys. And then at the deadline, you make a judgment call. Are LeBron and AD, have they recaptured some of their 2020 magic as shot creators? Yes. Keep it as is. Maybe make a move for a backup center. Move forward. Are LeBron and AD more or less what they were last year? Okay, maybe we need to do something more aggressive. This is where you package D'Angelo Russell, maybe some uh, a draft pick and you make a move after a shot creator. Maybe it's Zach Levine. Yeah. Maybe it's a guy like Kyrie Irving. Who knows? But that's kind of the, the patient approach is what I would take with them. But as long as the Lakers have legitimate half-court shot creation in a series against Denver, I think they can beat them. Yeah. The But as they were last year, they didn't have that. And honestly, Anthony, and I don't really – actually, I do want to get into this with you. Okay. The worst defense to play Denver last year was the Lakers on a point-per-possession basis. They gave up 122 points per 100 possessions, despite being the be- like basically the best defense in the field, I thought, mm-hmm. and certainly the second half of the year, and having the best personnel to throw at Jokic. I, so my theory, and again, maybe, maybe there's some crazy explanation. Maybe it was Kavon Looney just knocked him upside the head and he wasn't the same dude. But I was so disappointed by AD in the Denver series, particularly yeah. on the defensive end of the floor. I thought that, you know, you, you remember when we'd watch him during the regular season and you just see the difference between the games when he's kind of floating around versus when he's like just flying around doing everything. Mm-hmm. I never really felt like AD got into a defensive groove in that series where he was truly impacting the game. And yeah. then in game four in particular, the dude was just coasting. And yeah. so I, I was really, really disappointed in Anthony Davis in that series. My question for you is, did you feel the same about Anthony Davis in that series? And do you think he's capable of giving a better fight to Jokic next year than he did this year? I think game one, because game one was the one where he scored 40, right? Yeah, all um, in pick and roll. He was just making all those little pop shots. Basically, mm-hmm. it was one of the days he was making that shot. Yeah, yeah. so uh, game one, I think, really irked him, you know, where he gave Jokic everything he could offensively. Jokic went down on the other cor- side of the court. AD couldn't move him. Like the thing the thing that drove me insane watching that was AD, you know, we always hear it. He bulked up to play center. He got bigger to play center. He got bigger to play center. And, you know, um in my opinion traded some of what made him special, right? You mentioned the way he flies around. I always tell people Go back and watch the first game that he played as a Laker. And he is he is so much thinner. He's trying to dunk from like a step within the, the free throw line. He's just doing all kinds of insane stuff. And and I don't know the last time that we saw an AD dunk where his like elbows were above the rim. You know, uh-huh. like I don't it, it just like doesn't a real happen. Dunk. Yeah. yeah, just like, you know, and we'll see him sometimes he'll have like He'll have the kind of dunks that happen in traffic that look super impressive, you know. But like when you really look at it, he's like this high above the rim, you know, and and it's 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 high enough to get the ball over the rim, and it looks crazy because he's dunking in traffic. But like he'll have plays where he has a runway, and you're like, oh boy, 
here we go. This should be the moment. And then it's just kind of like he tries to lay it in. And if he lays it in, yeah, if he (laughs) lays it in and he'll like, he'll get bumped and he'll, he'll fall down. And, and that's the kind of stuff that like Jokic, I think really takes advantage of, you know, when, when he sees somebody who just doesn't really want to fully commit to like being the best athlete that they can be. And that, advantage is lowered just a little bit Jokic just like oh fuck yeah let's go mm-hmm. you know and and i really think that game one um took ad completely out of his comfort level because he tried to reach back and throw his 98 mile an hour fastball defensively and it got smashed out of the park whereas like in the other in the other uh you know not maybe not 98 like 106 mile an hour fastball like the kind of stuff that nobody should be able to touch and and um, in the other series, right when he threw that pitch, Memphis didn't know what to do with him. Golden State had no idea what to do with him. And then he threw that pitch again against Denver. And then it, it you know, Jokic turned it around and hit it into the upper deck. And he's just like, oh, what? And I don't think he ever really, you know, got back into the series from there. And and we did see him kind of dawdle around. I also was really disappointed with what I saw there. And and I'm really kind of curious if. Um, if he took it the same way, if he looked at it the same way, if he's looking at the tape and he's like, I have to be way better. And I, I really hope that it, it, it pushes him to get in better shape. Uh, I mm-hmm. think it, that's where it really starts. He bulked up and he became kind of this like plotting big that is not what made a, he's he not a skilled enough to be a plotting big. Yeah. 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 He can't shoot, you know, um, he's not, he's not the shooter that, you know, that, that he was in, in 2020 or whatever. And yeah, I just, he needs to get back to being a pterodactyl. And I don't know if, I don't know if the Lakers employing a big, uh, that they are more confident in allows him to get back to like that kind of physical build, uh, or what? But until that happens, then I, I still continue to think Denver's going to have their number because he's the best chance that the Lakers have, at, at, the Lakers have at defending and dealing with Jokic. And if he plays like that against Jokic again, then it's just kind of over again. I don't, you know, you can you they try to do the whole like smoke grenade with Rui and with LeBron and stuff like that, but you know, eventually the smoke clears and it's still Jokic that is just that kind of overpowering. He wasn't good enough in help either, though. That was the frustrating part is like they're just again, I agree with you. Like it's a he definitely was discouraged by the Jokic thing. Um, I mean, even in game four, the game winner, when it was 113-113 at the left corner, like he kind of closed out on Jokic in the corner and Jokic just bullied him. It was just yeah. a rip through, get the fuck off me. I'm going up <laughs> to the basket. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And 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 so I, I, I understand that. And fundamentally it's a different assignment than it was in the other two series. Because in the mm-hmm. other two series, it was more like how well is he defending in pick and roll? Whereas mm-hmm. uh, with the Jokic matchup, it's a lot more post-ups. He's actually really hyper-concerned with the role, man. It's very different. Um, but even when he was in those help side situations, I didn't love the effort and focus and energy. I was just mo- mainly disappointed in the competitiveness. Like, yeah, I wanted to be like, look, no one watching the game thinks you're better than Jokic. Yeah, like going into the series, I was giving him just the benefit of the doubt. Like you're a champion, he's not. Like you're the guy who's got to be unseated here. But as soon as we watched you play, we know you're not as good. But yeah. like, go down swinging, man. Like, yeah, I want to see. I want to see you fight your ass off to try to win. And and what was disappointing is like when every single game was that close. It always those are the infuriating ones because then you're made, like that one extra effort, that one yeah. extra detail. And I mean, you made a great point. Like he's turned himself into a plotting big. Like look at how much better defensively Miami did than the Lakers did just because Bam sprinted the floor in transition all the time. Like yeah. li- little things like that could have gone oh, a long man. way. Watching I'm, I'm, AD I'm, get it back in transition dude, defense was just oh. like, what the hell, you know, dude? You know what's funny, Anthony? I did a video after their first game in Denver, which was the one uh, when they were in the 2-10 and 10 stretch. And it, 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 it's, uh, it gained a little bit of legs on social media, and it was just a breakdown of all the plays where Jokic just beat Anthony Davis in transition. That's always yeah. been his way that he beats AD. You can actually mm-hmm. see him when – AD makes a layup, makes a layup in the roll yeah. and falls and slides and into falls. camera row. Jokic just runs and grabs the ball in the net and then goes. <laughs> like he just does it all yeah. the time. Like that, that's how that's how he beats him. Um, follow up. Does the Denver matchup in any way, shape, or form change your feelings about the Lakers going after someone like Miles Turner? 
Because he defended Jokic decently well in their matchups this season. It's collective size, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I actually, I actually, um, because look, the Lakers have the contracts to be able to go out and get them without impacting their rotation, right? Because you could use Beasley, you could use Bamba, and boom. Bamba and Beasley. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And those guys like Beasley, Bamba didn't play in the playoffs. Beasley was atrocious in the playoffs. So if you turn Beasley and Bamba into Turner, then. Yeah, that flips it, you know, because it's collective size. There is no, like, the other thing, too, is um, Denver's non-Jokic minutes went better than they should have um, over the, especially in that series. But, like, um, if you have Turner out there and he's taking advantage of, like, a really small front line where uh, Aaron Gordon is your your five or um, Jeff Green is kind of like your five out there and... Turner has that size advantage and the Lakers get to like play volleyball. I, I, I like that. And then, um, yeah, just building a wall around the rim that like he, you know, Jokic isn't Giannis in that Giannis like has to get to the rim. Jokic's floater and, and, you know, flip shot and just horse shot, um, game is just unbelievable. But if you make him a little bit less comfortable than he was in that series and, and like we saw, the guy that you know had the most success against him was LeBron, right? And Nuggets fans are going to say, "Well, because LeBron is allowed to foul." Yes, yeah, <laughs> you're right. When you're allowed to play physical against a guy, that really does change uh, what that looks like. And you know, AD when he tried to play physical against Jokic, Jokic just didn't even feel it. It was like that. It's high center and- gravity. Yeah, well, it was the it was the remember the the the, the meme of Demarcus Cousins and and Carl Anthony Towns oh, like yeah, trying yeah. <laughs> with all his might to move him. You know, I'm sure a, a picture like that exists where AD is like trying, you know, with all his might to move Jokic, and Jokic just like, is there something back there that's really annoying? And and um, I don't think that would be the case if if it was Turner and AD pushing on him that way. Exactly, you know. Um, and it's yeah, both. I, it's the, it's the it's t- to me it's the Jokic thing, but it's also the uh, AD gets hurt and misses twenty five games. You have a foundational defensive center. It's yeah. the bench lineups. It's the big look, like even beyond a Jokic lineup. Like if you have a big and Miles Turner who can pick and pop, then guess what? You can run Anthony Davis at the four. Like there, yeah. To me, to me, that is like the there's no doubt that the Lakers need to come up with another big body center to bang with Jokic. And I don't, I, I, I haven't thought of any other name. Like I, I do think some team will offer Dwight a deal, but I don't think it'll be the Lakers necessarily. But I do think that, I think you're going to see a lot of teams start doing some weird stuff because of Jokic. Also don't be shocked if Miles Turner has quite a bit of interest as teams are looking for a body and 20 million, the way they structured his contract, it seemed like a much bigger number than it was. They ended up paying him like thirty-seven million last year, and it goes yeah. down to twenty million this year. So, like, I, I, I he's just the name that I, I'm keeping my eye on because all these other names I'm hearing, it's like, oh, what if we went after Zach Levine? I'm like, Zach Levine's like, I'd, I'd rather have it Austin Reeves running the, the pick issue. and roll, you know, at the at the yeah. end of a game. I, I know a lot of Lakers fans are out on Kyrie. I totally get it, but like. God damn, would he be so good next to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know? I, <laughs> yeah. But that would be more of a deadline type of deal because I don't think there's any functional way to do it at the uh, before then. Um, obviously, the the other thing with Dame that I always say keep an eye out for is the the just the simple prospect of goodwill. Like, what if he's just earned yeah. so much goodwill with them over the years that they would take filler and a Lakers draft pick and a couple of swaps, you know, instead of. Uh, instead of a slightly better package from Miami. Cause like I, sometimes I'm like, I'm like, Oh, Miami's going to get him. Miami's going to get him. I'm like, why would Portland really want Tyler hero? Like, is that really the deal? That's just going to get them super excited. You know, like it's, it feels like he's going to go for pennies on the dollar anyway, but like, if it's not Dame, I don't think they should make a deal this summer. I really don't. I think they should hold tight and wait for the opportune deal at the deadline Maybe that's Miles Turner. Maybe it's someone else. Like I deal, I think Miles Turner, you could get at the deadline relatively inexpensive if the Pacers are struggling again. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm obsessed with this concept because I I think the same thing. Whenever a team show, whenever a team like Denver pops up, that's like clearly really good. We kind of saw this with the Bucks after they won in 2021. Yeah. It's like how do we deal with Giannis? How do we deal with Giannis? And every team is like, oh, we got to sign PJ Tucker. We got to you know we got to get somebody who can guard Giannis. Yeah. Like 
I think the Western Conference is in a similar predicament where all these teams have big advantages. Like no team has LeBron James and Anthony Davis except for the Lakers in terms of that type of duo. No team has the level of shot creation that the Phoenix Suns have. Steph Curry may or may not be the best player in the world. He plays for the Warriors, right? Like all these guys have their unique advantage, but Jokic is just a much bigger advantage. And so teams have to address that specific weakness, and I'm really curious to see how they do it. It was kind of like the Shaq era, right, where they – he employed like an entire army of stiff seven footers who could commit six <laughs> fouls against him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I feel like Jokic might do that against, uh, against, you know, for, for the rest of the league where everybody like Mason Plumlee's career is going to last like five years longer than it maybe should because he's six fouls against Jokic or he, he's harder to move than, than most bigs might be. So uh-huh. yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated the West. I still think like, um, I do have Denver in a tier of their own, but I do think that they're catchable. You know, I I have them head and shoulders above, but, you know, if they aren't able to keep Bruce Brown and if the Lakers are patient and they are able to turn Beasley and Bamba, two guys who didn't do anything in the postseason, into an impact postseason player, then that does really change. If, if Denver loses an impact post, postseason player and the Lakers gain one, that really changes how that looks, right? And... um I'm with you. I do think the Lakers have the best chance of, of anybody in the West. And I, I think that extends out to the rest of the league. Because I, I, I do think we I kind agree. of learned some stuff about the East last year. Um, it looks like Milwaukee's going to lose. They're all frauds, Anthony. Exactly. Well, <laughs> like, Milwaukee's going to lose Brooke Lopez. Jalen Brown still hasn't learned to dribble with his left hand. Like, you know, I just think, I, you know, yeah, I think it's still Denver and the Lakers again. And it's actually really kind of cool. Without anybody ever really realizing it, it's kind of one of those weird three-year rivalries, like a boxing match, right? Where Western Conference in the bubble, Western Conference last year, might get Western Conference again next year. This is really exciting. Um, this has been an absolute blast, man. I, I really appreciate you hopping on here. Again, you can catch Jason's stuff at the volume on uh, Hoops Tonight. Anything specific that you want to plug before we get you out of here? No, that's it. Just uh, subscribe to the Volumes YouTube channel. That's where we have our shows. Uh, Hoops Tonight has its own podcast feed. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts. And then obviously, just like every other basketball nut job, I'm all over Twitter at underscore Jason LT. Anthony, this has been a blast, man. I'm looking forward to next time. Yeah, it, it's going to it's gonna take less than like five years to make it happen next time. <laughs> I'll say that. Let's, let's hope so. <laughs>